Coming up on The Exam Room. It was a few years after my diagnosis before I came out of like a depressive funk that I was in. I kind of wavered between being hopeful and depressed. Um, And when I kind of accepted that I had this condition and that I couldn't predict the future, that's when I got clearer. And as a pharmacist and as a student of academia, I thought, okay, what is the evidence out there? Because at this point, I had always been in love with food and cooking, and I would call myself a foodie then and today. And so I just started like gentle Googling, I will say. And then that led me into like actually looking into research papers and trying to find out information for myself as a pharmacist. Like, what's what, what are we looking at here? Maybe I should be doing higher doses of vitamin D. Maybe I should be eliminating dairy. I didn't know there was a connection between dairy and inflammation. Maybe I should reduce red meat. Maybe I should be thinking about the oils. And and it kind of had a domino effect. It started very slowly. Back then, there wasn't this, you know, explosion of information that we have today about anti-inflammatory eating. It was very niche. I had to dig really deep and find some sources that probably weren't so popular, but that's what led me down that path. And my motivation was so strong. You know, it was my entire health, my well-being, my mobility that just I decided the next morning, I said, that's it. That's it. I'm plant-based. I'm, I'm plant-based. I will figure it out as I go. So I was going down what seemed to be a bit of a rogue path. But when I made these changes and I had told people what I was doing and people really started to ask serious questions. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Sonoma, California, Dearborn, Michigan, and Thessaloniki, Greece. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 51 of season 6, number 447 overall, and it is a treat of a show today, one that features an incredible story of a pharmacist who left the pharmacy behind to fill a prescription for health in the kitchen after she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. This incredible woman's name is Ashley Madden, and for seven long years, her MS journey seemed like it would be a bleak one. We're talking about painful injection after injection without much hope of recovery. It was more just managing her symptoms to get by than anything else. But then, Ashley started to look beyond the pharmacy counter, and suddenly, pharmacy in her life had a new spelling. The PH was dropped in favor of an F, and her world completely changed. Heck, her career completely changed. Her uniform went from being a white pharmacist jacket to a splattered apron with the telltale signs of someone who has been spending time in the kitchen. And so as this transformation is happening with her, her symptoms began to fade. And over time, they largely became non-existent. And her new lifestyle intervention, it had worked so well that others were paying attention and asking Ashley, what are you doing? And she was all too happy to pull out her own proverbial prescription pad and fill it and write it down for anyone who was willing to listen. And soon enough, her secrets were shared through recipes that were as delicious as they were powerful for her recovery. And many of those extraordinary recipes are featured in her blog, Rise, Shine, Cook, and also her new cookbook, plant-based delicious. And Ashley now, she is many years into her journey and recovery, and she continues to be a beacon of health and of hope. And she is with us here today to share her remarkable story of fighting MS with food and her journey right here on The Exam Room. Ashley, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. 
I don't think that we have ever had anyone here on the show who can check those three boxes, chef, nutritionist, and pharmacist. That is quite the eclectic collection of careers you have. It is. Um, while I was going through that, I thought the same thing. Like, hmm, I'm really, really gathering some acronyms here. But it all worked out. It all works together. It is. By the way, uh, before we get rolling and talk about your story, which is just absolutely incredible, uh, you have a new book coming out. This is the original right here, The Plant-Based Cookbook. So easy to remember title, but Plant-Based Delicious drops on June 13th. And there's a particular recipe in that book that I definitely want to ask you about here today. Um, But before we get into that, before we get into the deliciousness, let's delve into the deliciousness that is your super inspiring story. At the age of 23, you were blindsided with a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. What was leading up to that? Yeah, that's right. So that was a really difficult time in my life, and you nailed it. I was blindsided. Um, As you mentioned, I used to be a pharmacist. Um, I was actually doing my hospital residency, and I had some random symptoms. And I just went to a walk-in clinic and they were like, we think you need an MRI. And out of nowhere, a doctor I didn't know um, came and gave me the report. And he was like, you know, uh, turns out you have multiple sclerosis. And I was floored. And that was the beginning of my life taking on a completely different trajectory than I had ever expected. Had you been healthy up until you started to experience those symptoms? You're so young. Yes, I was. You know, um, as I say in my first book, The Plant-Based Cookbook, I considered myself healthy-ish. In retrospect, I say healthy, healthy-ish. Um, I exercised. I thought I ate well. I didn't have any preliminary signs of any kind of chronic disease. I did have a family history. I did have an aunt who had MS and Uh, As you probably know from my first cookbook, after I was diagnosed with MS, my sister was as well. So we have the genetic predisposition. We live in Canada with, you know, low vitamin D levels, and we were probably exposed to some virus as young women. And, you know, those three things come together. um, And yeah, so it turned out I had MS. My symptoms leading up to my MRI actually weren't related to the diagnosis, which is interesting. I was a runner and I had back pain and that's what um, garnered the MRI. And turns out the back pain was totally unrelated to MS. It was something that I had to go to physiotherapy for, but kind of as an aside, what they discovered with the MRI was that, oh, you actually have lesions on your brain. So after the MRI, they did a spinal tap, they did a follow-up MRI and they said, yeah, you have you have MS. We've caught it because of these other things. But uh, had you not come for this particular reason, who knows what would have happened before we had discovered it. And at 23, I mean, just, I mean, I think I may have undersold it when I said blindsided. And yeah. you go in there for back pain and you walk out with a diagnosis for MS and yeah, even though it it had run in your family, it sounds like you physically were taking fairly good care of yourself as a yes. runner. Were you were you worried that this could oh my God. happen to you? No, no, no. Um, furthest thing from my mind, and it was such a shock. You know, I cycled through the stages of grief. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know what to do next. I went into a depression for sure for a few years because the doctors essentially said to me, you know, take your medication, live your life. Um, But yes, MS is this type of condition Um, for your listeners who aren't aware. It's an autoimmune disease where your brain is attacked. And depending on which part of your brain is attacked, it can affect different parts of your body. So MS can have symptoms, physical symptoms, sensory symptoms, it can affect everything. So what I like to say is that what it instilled me in me was fear. And so that was really hard to process at that young age, at that period in my life, I felt like joy was taken away from me. I felt like I had to contemplate everything all of a sudden. So you say at that point you were healthy-ish, we'll put the, put yeah. the quotes there. Um, what was your diet like at that point? I, to be totally honest with you, my diet, wow, 
It consisted of frozen low calorie dinners. It consisted of uh, like powdered protein breakfast shakes. It consisted of like 100 calorie snack bars. Um, it had dairy, meat. You know, I thought I had to have, you know, if I wanted a salad, I thought I had to have chicken in it. So, you know, I got chicken in that. I used low calorie salad dressings, you know, having no, I really had no understanding of, you know, what nutrient density meant and calorie density meant or what foods were anti-inflammatory and how other foods could contribute to inflammation. And with the MS diagnosis, I would say that's kind of the first revelation to me that I had this disease that was based in inflammation. And I started to read and learn about food and its relation to inflammation. And that was kind of the thing that got me going. I mean, you mentioned the low vitamin D levels and, and only being healthy-ish. I mean, if we were to look at your diagnosis kind of as a pie, I'm curious, how, how big of a slice do you think diet would play here? Because you've got the vitamin D, you've got genetics, uh, diet, obviously. How big of a slice do you think food would get? You know, that's really hard to say. I think even experts wouldn't be able to um, put a ratio on that. I, I mean, I think a lot of experts would say that it had nothing to do with it. Um, I think for me, probably stress had a lot to do with my diagnosis. I was living a very stressful life um, in my residency, trying to do a lot of different things. I It was my first time moving away from home. So I moved out of the province that I lived in, in Canada. And I'd always been, you know, like a type A personality, um, just trying to do it all. So in terms of diet, I'm not sure how much it had in effect, I can't say that for sure to your listeners, but I mean, I can tell you, and I'm sure we'll get to it. I can tell you how much it changed after I changed my diet, how I felt, my symptoms, everything. Absolutely. We're going to get to it. Um, but, but before we do, I, you know, you're in residency, obviously training to become a pharmacist. You've got this medical background. What had your training taught you at that point, as far as the challenges you would be facing? When I heard the diagnosis, it was like, I immediately saw a wheelchair in my future, to be totally honest. I remember the series of lectures when I was in university about MS, about uh, autoimmune diseases, and about this one in particular, and how the effects could just be devastating, you know? So after I was diagnosed, I thought, okay, because of what I know from school, then I have no choice but to accept disability in my future. That's essentially what I thought. And so... Uh, the diagnosis was hard on me and really hard on my family um, because we all thought that. I, I would imagine so. And yeah. I mean, what is the typical, you know, regimen of medication for somebody who's received this diagnosis? Uh, injectable medications, medications that can help to alter your immune system to uh, decrease the uh, episodes, which is when you have a flare up of symptoms in MS because there's inflammation in your brain and some of the brain tissue is being attacked by your immune system. So these medications are, you know, heavy duty medica medications, immunomodulators would be what they're called. Um, so, and I did go on medication. I was on medication for seven years. Um, it was an intramuscular injection that I had to take every week and the side effects were awful. The side effects were so bad that that's why I came off them. Um, so between me and my neurologist, I had been symptom free for a very long time. Um, and the side effects were becoming worse than how I felt about the benefit. So I, I had stopped. But that's essentially what the plan is once you get diagnosed medication, and then let's hope for the best. And when did you start to go down the old plant-based rabbit hole? What was the epiphany mm. there? You know, you mentioned inflammation earlier. Obviously, that ties so tightly to diet. So when did you start to discover all of this yeah. is kind of interwoven? I would say it was a few years after my diagnosis, maybe three years, maybe even four, before I came out of like a depressive funk that I was in. I felt... I, I kind of wavered between being hopeful and depressed. Um, and when I kind of accepted that I had this condition and that I couldn't predict the future, that's when I got clearer. And as a pharmacist and as a student of academia, I thought, okay, 
what is the evidence out there? Because at this point, I had always been in love with food and cooking, and I would call myself a foodie then and today. And so I just started like gentle Googling, I will say. And then that led me into like actually looking into research papers and trying to find out information for myself as a pharmacist. Like, what's what, what are we looking at here? Maybe I should be doing higher doses of vitamin D. Maybe I should be eliminating dairy. I didn't know there was a connection between dairy and inflammation. Maybe I should reduce red meat. Maybe I should be thinking about the oils. And so, and it kind of had a domino effect. It started very slowly. And you have to remember too, Chuck, back then there wasn't this, you know, explosion of information that we have today about anti-inflammatory eating. It was very niche. I had to dig really deep and find some sources that probably weren't so popular, but that's what led me down that path. And um, I don't want to jump ahead of my story, but I went plant-based overnight one day, I said, and I know that that's not how a lot of people will benefit from doing it. But for me, it's like I had this, like just this kind of aha moment where I was like, oh my God, this is obvious. I know exactly what I have to do. And my motivation was so strong. You know, it was my entire health, my well-being, my mobility that just, I decided the next morning, I said, that's it. That's it. I'm plant-based today. I'm, I'm plant-based. I will figure it out as I go. It's interesting that you were able to make that leap, uh, you know, especially with the pharm- pharmacist background, because I would think as a pharmacist, you're you're so used to just filling prescriptions and here's a here's another medication for this. And this is the course of treatment for everything. And you were able to see outside that box a little bit and start looking at that holistic approach. Was that difficult at all for you to make that leap? No, it wasn't difficult because of my personality, but I also have to um, kind of support my good pharmacists out there because there's so many. We learn about the medications, but we also learn about the interventions that can be done before medications, especially in when we're talking about heart disease, cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity, diabetes. There's a lot of, we call them lifestyle interventions, which they're still well known as not so much with autoimmune disease. So I was going down what seemed to be a bit of a rogue path. Um, but when I made these changes and I had told people what I was doing and I had, was feeling better and, you know, after five years I was feeling even better and hadn't progressed at all, people really started to ask serious questions about what I was doing. Quick point here that I, I, I want to point out. Um, I'm not saying at, at all in the least um, that there's not a place for medication. I wasn't inferring that. I Me was too. not insinuating that. Um, I think that it's, you know, the term overprescribed, I think, is where we're at right now with a lot of things overprescribed. Um, but there's absolutely a place for things, you know, um, I just I love the approach of getting somebody to a point where they no longer need that prescription or wouldn't need it in the first place. And there are so many physicians out there like, you know, so many members of PCRM. Uh, healthcare professionals that now have that approach and have that stance. And it's amazing to see physicians, you know, trying to get people off medications because really lifestyle factors or lifestyle interventions can make a huge difference. Let's, let's go back to your story, right? So you, you, you've gently Googled, you're learning more. I love that term, by the way, gently Googled. I hadn't heard that one before. Because I was afraid. I was just like, I don't want to know too much. I didn't want to hear that there was nothing I could do, you know? But it was yeah, quite the opposite. Oh, yeah. It was like you can do lots of stuff. Oh man, yeah. Google has a whole heap of information on there, does it not? Um, so you you're going from you know these really easy to make frozen meals that you were you were talking about proteins and and things like that, um, and now you're going down this healthier hole, and 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 so you're a foodie, but still. I would imagine that would have required a little bit of a learning curve and an investment of time in your kitchen as well. So how were you able to really ramp up the amount of time that you spent in the kitchen? Was that hard for you to learn that life balance as well? It became my lifestyle very quickly. When I started, like I said to you, you know, I woke up one morning and said, I'm plant-based. So off the bat, it was like, okay, what can I have? Vegetables in a wrap. I can have a salad. I can have oatmeal. I can have vegetable soup. 
Um, and there's lots of other things you can have, but I didn't have any experience in this. And then I would find a recipe here or there and I'm like, oh, they didn't use oil in that muffin. Oh, they're using beans this way in this pasta dish. And I just got like, just this creative spark went off and it became my favorite thing to do. It became creating the most delicious meals out of like whole foods. You know, I would bring people food and be like, you'll never believe that there's no meat in this chili. You'll never believe that I put kale in this smoothie. And, you know, this was in like 2011 when it seemed crazy, but um, I was just so motivated by how delicious healthy eating could be. Quick aside here. Do you think it's easier to get somebody to eat a vegan dish if you don't even say well there's no meat in it and you Definitely. would just call that chili like a three bean chili right you know just destigmatize you know, with with my plant-based cookbooks right plant-based i had um actually someone here in taiwan i'm in taiwan i don't know if we said that but i live in taipei taiwan um uh, someone who had purchased my cookbook here had mentioned to me you know why don't you not call your book plant-based something? Why don't you just call it like something? And I was like, you know what? I hear you, but the publishing gods <laughs> wanted <laughs> to have, you know, the SEO and, and the name that attracts the audience, which I totally get. But I'm with you 100%. You do not need to present your vegan meal as being, oh, look, this is a vegan meal, especially today. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the title of the cookbook absolutely deserves to be plant-based just as plant-based delicious, uh, which is coming yeah. out June 13th, needs to have that in there. But for the individual who's making the recipes, maybe they just keep the fact that they got it tucked from yeah. the plant-based cookbook uh, for the time being and then bust that out after the person's already. Afterwards. Like, yeah. See, no. yeah. Gift them a copy. That. That's what you should do. Make that chili and then <laughs> gift them a copy to take home, right? Not leftovers. That's a, a great parting gift. Yeah. Mm, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> so how quickly after you make this transition to the more holistic route, did your symptoms that you are having, the, the side effects from the medication start to alleviate and you started to feel a little bit better? Well, the side effects from the medication kind of kept on until I came off of them. But that was, you know, I came off the medication um, six years after I started eating a plant-based diet, I felt better. I will have to say, oh my God, within probably six months, like immensely better. But it was a lot of things that I didn't think I'd feel that would matter, that would make a difference. I had less headaches. I had less bloating. I always had eczema that went away. I always had weird sleeping patterns that went away. I used to have these crazy energy dips mid-morning that went away. So I don't know, all these things, I, I felt better in so many other ways as well. I would have to say I noticed a massive difference in my MS symptoms, maybe four years, four years later. But they weren't like I wasn't having major episodes this whole time. Actually, my MS has been very stable, was very stable that entire time. I used to have little symptoms that will grumble along. But after about four or five years, they kind of disappeared. And even now... Um, the only time I really notice anything is when I am sleep deprived and I have a one-year-old, so I'm feeling the sleep deprivation or I'm having a lot of stress because, you know, stress is also very much related to inflammation as well. Well, now I feel bad for keeping you up so late, given the time <laughs> no, difference. I'm so no. sorry. Don't worry. We have, I, my husband's getting up with my son tomorrow. I get to sleep in. It's all good. Okay. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Um, you mentioned at one point you had eczema. I'm really surprised. Your skin looks absolutely radiant to me. Um, I, I'm like really, really surprised to hear that. That's one of the like nice little side benefits that comes with this, huh? And acne. And acne. also acne. Mm -hmm. All of that went away. I mean, I've got you full screen right now for those who are watching on YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's just radiant. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so <laughs> thank you very cool um okay so how are you feeling today i mean obviously you're looking great but you said like a little bit of sleep deprivation but here i mean just basically it seems like you're doing great today i'm doing great i want to knock on wood always because you never know with a, a condition like ms what's going to happen tomorrow it's taught me a lot of things about presence mindfulness accepting what is but I'm doing fabulous. 
And have other members of your family kind of taken notice of the route that you've yeah. decided to take? My sister made dramatic changes. She's predominantly plant, plant-based as well. Um, my mom is predominantly plant-based. Uh, my dad did for a little bit, but he is very traditional meat and potatoes mm. kind of guy. But like one of your guests had said in a previous podcast, you know, meat and potatoes, you're halfway there, right? <laughs> Mike <laughs> the Kaplan, potatoes. the comedian. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it made a huge difference. And whenever we have gatherings now for holiday meals, when we get together on Sundays at my parents' house, which is what we do um, all the time. I live in Taiwan now, so not as much, but there will always be a plant-based option, a vegan gravy, uh, a vegan dish, uh, vegetables that are cooked without any oil or without being cooked with meat. Um, and that goes from my side of the family and my husband's side of the family and all of our in-laws, everybody just, you know, cooks plant-based now. My sister-in-law is like, she is one of my best testers. So I have recipe testers. Whenever I'm writing a book, I have you know a key group of recipe testers and we go back and forth for months and months to nail a recipe. And my sister-in-law, who has no his health history like this at all, has just like dived completely in and she is a, like a plant-based chef in her own right now. So yeah, it's spread um, a lot and with my friends and it's just amazing to see. Yeah. How in the world did you do that? Because, Ashley, I'm telling you, I hear from so many exam roomies who say, well, look, you know, even though I've lost 100 pounds and I've been able to, you know, really improve my health in so many areas, mm. the rest of my family still just is not getting on board and in some cases are still giving them guff. What, in your estimation, is kind of the key to getting everybody to get on that path? I think for a lot of people, they would love to be able to crack that code. I would first have to give credit to my family, I think, because they were so supportive of whatever I wanted to do or needed to do to take care of myself. But secondly, and I think this is key for a lot of people who are trying to get family members and friends to accept or try vegan or plant-based recipes, is that I would always bring what I was eating to everything. I would go out of my way. I would make a vegan cheesecake with no coconut oil. I would make the vegan gravy. I would make the dish. And and like over the years, it didn't happen overnight, but over the years, everybody would kind of try it. And then as people encountered other health issues themselves, you know, the idea of eating better, less inflammatory foods, less fat, less cholesterol was kind of becoming something that everybody wanted to do. And I was like, hey, we're kind of already doing this. And that's kind of how it spread. So I think that it's very difficult to get people to jump on board because you want them to. I think it's something they have to come to themselves, which I know can be very difficult if you are a busy parent and you, you know, you're trying to make a meal for yourself and then for your kids and then for your spouse because they don't want to eat what you're eating. And in that case, simplicity comes into play for sure. But I think that being consistent and consistently offering things that taste good is the best place to start. And that's what I did. And that's what I still do. And even today, I love having dinner parties. And whenever people come to our house for our dinner party, and they're from all over the world. I live in Taiwan. My friends are from Europe, uh, you know, United States, like just everywhere, uh, Asia. I We make 100% plant-based food for everybody. Starter, main, dessert, snacks, charcuterie board, everything is vegan. And everybody leaves here like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe there was no cheese in that. What, what is that? What did you put in that thing? And I get so high off that. I'm like, oh, my God, let me tell you. Let me tell you what's in it. So I think by feeding people. Sorry, that was a long way to say by feeding people. <laughs> No, I think that there's something to it, right? Because I think especially if somebody's just getting going and they're trying to feel things out themselves, it's like going to an event or hosting an event even, like it can be awkward because you just don't know what to bring or what to serve. So I think, you know, maybe the noob mistake is just rolling up with a vegetable tray or a bag of, yeah. you know, prepackaged salad or something like, and you're oh, like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We're, we're not it's having so any like of that. 1999, right? Right. Yeah. I'm bringing friggin' cheesecake y'all and yeah. everybody's going to get in on this and y'all are going to see, and that's the key. It is. And I will also just add that doing this with recipes that are familiar is key. Mac and mm. cheese. You don't have to tell them the sauce is made of carrots, cashews, and potatoes or whatever. Spaghetti. 
um, chocolate like mousse pie. That's like one of the first recipes I ever made. I just remember that one particularly. Uh, a cheese ball. I'm, uh, there's a cheese ball in my first book. And that literally is something that I made and served at a Christmas party and didn't tell anybody it was vegan. And everybody was like, I, can I get the recipe? And I was like, sure, here it is. And it's, you know, cheese free. Hello. Merry Christmas yeah. to one and all. And surprise. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you about one of the mac and cheese recipes that's in your first cookbook as well. The, uh, the hummus mac and cheese, the one pot. Yeah. I think that that is just magic. Um, let's talk about, though, uh, when you decide, all right, well, let's leave the pharmacy behind and let's mm -hmm. step into the kitchen full time. So you are now a properly trained, uh, credentialed chef. What was that experience like for you? Because I know that you are trained up with one of my colleagues, the vegan roadie, Dustin Harder. Yeah. yeah, I am. Oh, my God. I love Dustin. He's the man. It was. I have to say the best experience of my entire life. It was, <laughs> I felt like I was coming home. I'm going to add in here because I, I had this conversation yesterday with someone and I, I, it's eluding me who it was because I've been doing a lot of uh, media stuff for my book. But when I was 19, my first year in college and university, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I went to the career counselor and we did all these tests, Myers-Briggs. I filled out all these forms. He, he took it, did all these the computing calculations. And then my next appointment was to come back and talk about it. My number one match was the culinary arts. Wow. And at that point, I was like, I'm not going to become a chef. Like, you know, I was, again, very academically driven. And um, I was gifted in that area. So, you know, the rest is history. I pursued pharmacy. But... It was wild when I was 30, 29, 30, sitting in uh, my first day of culinary school. I like the smile was just, I couldn't. I loved everything about it. I felt like it was exactly where I needed to be. And I have to also point out that Dustin, the vegan roadie, and I sat next to each other that first day. And we've been Aww. best buds ever since. Aww. I know. Love me some Dustin Harder. I'd love that. And so like, that's just kind of fate, like to, to have that kind of support yeah. with you too. Cause I, he loves this as much as you too. Like y'all are fired up for this stuff. And I think that when yeah. you have that buddy, buddy relationship and that enthusiasm just builds between the two of you, like that gets you even more excited about the path Very that much. you're on. Right. And clearly that has stayed with you to this day. Yeah, it has. And you know, culinary school, I talk about it in the book as well, my first book, it wasn't easy in that I arrived at culinary school already knowing I wanted to go there and become a culinary professional. I wanted to learn how to properly handle produce. I wanted to learn about the different cooking methods. I wanted to learn about good ingredients and different spices and how to pair flavors. But I also went in there on a plant-based diet. I was like, I don't eat added oil. I don't eat meat. I don't eat cheese. I don't eat fish. And it was a mostly plant-based culinary school, but we fried stuff. We used lots of oils. Sometimes they would add dairy to things or milk. There was a chicken and fish a section. So I went in there having to really be um, confident and almost firm in, in what I was there for. And I would often ask, you know, the, our culinary instructors who were brilliant, if I could do things differently. And they were very accommodating that way. Very cool. So how long was, mm -hmm. uh, was the training that you went through? Because you're not doing, again, like you're not handling meat at all. It's, it's a lot shorter. So it was, uh, I think, a year, eight months in school. And then you do your internship. All right. And so yeah. what was the plan? I mean, were you thinking you were going to open up a restaurant? What did, what did you want to do initially? I had no idea. And <laughs> I went into this. But also, I got married right before I left. I, I lived in Newfoundland. I got married and then left to go to culinary school in New York. And my husband was like, okay, see you later. But he was so supportive. And right before I left, I had this moment where I kind of freaked out. And I was like, what am I doing? What am I going to do with this? Like, am I crazy? And he was like, the worst case scenario is that you're going to be able to cook really good food for us. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, okay, right? That's it. So I didn't really know. But as I went through culinary school, things became a lot clearer for me. And I knew that I had to teach. And when culinary school was over, I knew that my approach was different. And I knew I had to write a cookbook. And then that was my mission to write a cookbook for those next few years. 
And you did. And now you're a holistic nutritionist and just a mover and a shaker in the plant-based community. Um, How, you know, when you, you make a magical meal for somebody and you put everything on the plate and it looks so delicious. Do you look at it? Not just as this man, this meal is going to be fantastic, but do you look at it in all of the different ways it's also going to nourish that person's body? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always at the forefront of my mind. When I'm creating a recipe, um, I'm thinking about how it's going to improve my health. I'm thinking about what it's going to offer me. And I really try not to compromise on that. I really try and think, okay, this has got to be super healthy and it's going to be super delicious. And that's what my job is really, you know, to make it super healthy and super delicious. And that's where my work is. And so if somebody has a recipe that they've loved, it's like a family type just passed down through the generations, but it does call for the oil or uh, beef or chicken or something like that. When you're working with somebody, do you really kind of hold them by the hand and guide them through how they may be able to take that out of the recipe and still retain all of the flavor that they've loved. Definitely. It really depends on the recipe. Um, For example, there are some things that are really hard to replicate um, like baklava. I had this conversation last weekend. I was having dinner with some friends and one of them ordered baklava for their um, dessert. And for anybody who knows, that's like a Greek dessert. And it's just phyllo pastry layered with like so much butter that like it's just unreal. It's just it's just butter and phyllo pastry. And I was like, you know what? That's one that would be difficult to replicate. But then if it's if I can't substitute something. So if someone comes to me with something that's predominantly meat. Okay, I'm like, all right, what can we substitute? Tofu, tempeh, can we use beans? How is this going to work? And then we can build it from there. And then sometimes if you can't exactly replicate the recipe, you think, okay, what are the predominant flavors here? What do we love about this? Is it the texture? Is it how saucy this is? Is it that it's a pasta? And then you kind of take those elements and then I try to recreate it kind of in remembrance of that of that first version. But a lot of the time, a lot of the time, you can make a version that's plant-based. All right, really quickly before I ask you about uh, some specific recipes in the books. Um, one, as a pharmacist and as a holistic nutritionist, uh, trained chef, just all around extraordinary person. Um, oh when God, you're goodness. talking about some of the healthiest spices, this has come up a lot recently on the show. Yeah. Um, if you're going to prescribe a spice to somebody who's really looking to reduce that inflammation in their body and boost their health, take it to the next level. What are some of the spices you might recommend? That's a great question because I think a lot of people actually um, overlook the power of spices. So that's a wonderful question. The first thing that I think of always is turmeric to get that curcumin, which is essentially the nutrient or the compound in turmeric that has all this anti-inflammatory power. And there's so many studies now done about turmeric and curcumin and how it can reduce inflammation. And, you know, it's related to arthritis and pain. It's just amazing. So I think turmeric, when I think turmeric, I think black pepper, because we need black pepper to help with the absorption of turmeric and help it, uh, not sorry, not the absorption, the activation of the curcumin in the turmeric. So I think of those two things. And I use turmeric and black pepper in so many things, especially when I'm feeding my son. Not a lot of black pepper, not so that it's like spicy on the tongue, but just like a little bit. So I think turmeric, I think black pepper, I think fresh ginger, which is easy to access and it's so cheap. I throw fresh ginger into smoothies. I'll grate some on some greens. The other night, I just chopped up a ton of bok choy and grated some ginger on it and just sauteed it with water and added a little tiny bit of salt and it was delicious. I also think garlic. Garlic is also one of those foods that's just amazing for you. And I think it's overlooked again sometimes because it's so predominant in the culinary arts. You know, we 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 start with onions, garlic, and, and we just forget. But garlic is a real powerhouse. Um, I would say that there are also whole spices. So this is something that might be intimidating to people, but whole spices offer so much nutrition as well. And they're very easy to cook with. So I think cumin, coriander, uh, fennel seed. I use those a lot in my dishes as well. And you'll notice that a theme throughout all of this is a lot of this is like Indian flavors and spices that are used a lot in Indian cooking. Um, and they're, you know, it's really healthy food and it's really healthy spices. Um, I think also cinnamon. 
cinnamon also has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties and it's really important to add a little bit to your uh, oatmeal or to your smoothie or to a baked good. It also has um, a lot of potential and what it can do for you. I think that's probably like my handful. That's what I think off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Um, <laughs> Dr. Will Bolsowitz turned me on to uh, turmeric, and uh, I've been sprinkling that in my coffee a little bit. And it actually, the flavor complements it quite nicely. I was really surprised. I've done some pretty crazy things with turmeric, but I've never put it in my coffee. But you bet tomorrow morning I'm going to try this. I'm telling you, don't fear it. Don't go heavy on it. You know, just, just, just a little, a little sprinkle. And and I'm telling you, like, it really complements it. I call it my golden cup of coffee. It's actually quite good. You know what my secret with turmeric is? What's that? Put a little bit on popcorn with nutritional yeast and black pepper. It is mm. amazing. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. You know, my wife loves, loves, loves popcorn. I might have to try that. I might have Ooh, to I should meet her. I also love, 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 love popcorn. All right. I'll put you two together. You'll be besties <laughs> in no time. Um, one of the spices that you mentioned was ginger. Obviously, you're living over in Taiwan. I know that ginger is a big time spice in a lot of Asian cooking. Is it the same in Taiwan? Oh, my God, yes. And there's different versions of it. Living here has opened up my repertoire of like whole foods for sure. For example, greens. There's greens here that I had never even heard about. Um, they're affordable and they are widely available. So I experiment a lot with those. Um, also mushrooms. Mushrooms here, the variety is amazing and mushrooms are so good for you and also are so good at fighting all of these chronic diseases that we know to be so common now in the modern world. So getting to like play around with what's available that way has been amazing. And not just uh, ginger, I have to say, there's other things here that are really available that weren't so available when I lived in uh, Canada. So things like lemongrass, you know, just different things that build a lot of flavor that also have a lot of nutrition. Do you love being able to build upon your culinary base and like learn about all of these new foods, wherever it is that your travels take you in the world and just kind of expand your culinary repertoire? So much. Sometimes I feel so full of ideas that it's like overwhelming. I feel like I need to slow down a little bit, but I, I lived in... Um, so after culinary school, my husband and I moved to the Netherlands for two years. So we lived there for two years before we moved to Taiwan. So I also had some experience there with different food. Um, and that's in that very short period of time influenced the way I saw um, how whole foods could be used. And then I brought that with me. And then when I came here, um, I kind of just take a little bit of this with me. I feel like whenever we leave Taiwan, we're not going to be here forever, but I feel like when I leave here, I'm going to miss a lot of the fresh local produce and realize how much I use it. That's why vacations are made. You can always yeah. <laughs> go back and reignite the the old culinary skills in Taiwan, sharpen those things right back up. Um, yeah. So three recipes I need to ask you about. I need to, oh, not want to, great. need to ask you about before before we wrap up today uh first one comes from the original uh cookbook that you have again the new one drops on june 13th this is the plant-based cookbook available now there's a link to it in the show description and the and in the episode notes also a link to pre-order your copy of plant-based delicious first one i need to ask you about is one that we referenced earlier the one pot creamy hummus mac and cheese yeah. so you're 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 kind of marrying hummus with mac and cheese yeah. Where did you get this idea? This seems kind of wild. We are hummus lovers in this house. Uh, I can take a bowl of hummus and turn it into 10 different meals. <laughs> um, and this actually came about serendipitously. It was many of the recipes in my books are planned. I think really hard about how to combine the ingredients and like what will taste the best, but also what offers the best nutrition. This one came about just like, huh, I'm making pasta. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn hummus into this, like, why not? It's thick. I can make it creamy. It's got that garlic flavor. I'm going to do this and see how it works out. And we did it. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I just threw some broccoli in there so that we could get that cruciferous, get that green component. And it just became something that I made often, every other week. And so I was like, it has to go in the cookbook. Game on. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Those serendipitous recipes, man. Sometimes they just turn out to be the absolute best. Yep. Um, also in this house, my father-in-law lives with us, my wife, uh, and and he, they just share a sweet tooth like you wouldn't believe. I mean, 
any pastry, I'm not sure that they they don't like. And so then I see these decadent no-bake cinnamon rolls that were also in the original book. Talk to me about these decadent no-bake cinnamon rolls, and I will uh, preface this question also by saying my culinary skills not nearly anywhere close to yours. So, I mean, is this something that anybody can do? Man, I got to tell you, Chuck, this is one of my most like proudest accomplishments in this book. Um, I set out to make, which kind of circles back to the question you asked earlier. If there's something that you can't make exactly a plant-based replica of, how do you approach it? This is what I felt, uh, or this is how I felt about cinnamon rolls. I was like, well, making a gluten-free, a non-white flour laden dough into a cinnamon, it's just not going to work. And I thought like, how can I make this into a dessert. And it just occurred to me, I was like, okay, maybe I can make like a raw dough out of like dates and walnuts and almonds. And then I'll make the, you know, the cinnamon part on the inside, just like cranberries and raisins and almond butter. And I was like, that, I think that'll work. And a lot of cinnamon. And so um, I whipped up the two components and I was like, okay, how am I going to make this into a cinnamon roll? And I just kind of like worked on it. And from the very first shot, I was like, oh my God, this is so easy. So that is, you do need a food processor, but you know, besides that, it's like mixing the dough, taking it out, mixing the filling, taking it out and you roll out the dough into a square. You put on the filling, roll it up and it's done. I love it. We have a hard time keeping these in our house. (laughs) So they're not, they don't hang around very often. Um, we also, I love, I have a sweet tooth. I love sweet things. So for me, it's, it's always been very important to create healthier versions with less sugar or no sugar. Um, and this one in particular is one that I just love to pull out of the freezer because it has that texture where you can just bite into it when it's still cold and it's so delicious. And I'm so glad you asked me about that. And no one has asked me about that recipe. That is probably my favorite dessert recipe in that whole chapter. Nobody has asked you about that. I find that hard to believe. No one's asked me about like making it. Uh, I've had a couple of people say it was like delicious, actually, you know, and people writing reviews and stuff about it. But no one's ever been like, where did that come from? Because it was something that I thought about very like strategically. I was like, I'm going to make this. How am I going to make this happen? And I think sometimes, and I hope, I want to say this to all the home chefs out there, the people who are trying different things on their own. I go through a lot of iterations before sometimes something sticks. Like I make a lot of stuff that kind of sucks. You know, if I'm trying to make something, if I'm trying to make something new, if I'm trying to create a new way of doing something, which in plant-based delicious, I did a bunch. Um, I also made it during the pandemic. So I had a lot of time stuck inside my house pregnant. So I had a lot of time to, to recipe test, but it's okay if you make something and it doesn't work out the first time. Like it's totally okay. I think knowing that and, remembering to to just like kind of let it you know just be like it's just food i mean we our people we think i i think food is so important but when it comes to making things and being stressed about it like it's okay it's just food you can try again so for anybody who opens a cookbook and is like oh i don't know how to make any of this stuff like it's it's always a process and the first time you make something that's new and different to you it's like that's it you know it the next time it'll be like oh i know how to do that i love your honesty. Honest to goodness, I'm just like straight up infatuated with your honesty. I make a lot of stuff and it completely sucks. Words never spoken on this show before. God bless you for being real. Because I have to be honest about it. It's so important because people think like, well, why can't I do this on the first crack? And then they just throw their hands up because they'll never be able to do it if they can't do it right the first time. Trial and error. There's no problem with that. That's perfectly natural. And especially in this realm that we're in, you know, in this arena, in plant-based culinary arts, because I, I do come from it, and I, like I said, I love the culinary arts, innovation is part of what we're doing, right? We're learning how 
to make, you know, in plant-based delicious, I make cookie batter out of beans and we're learning how to use nuts to make sauces and we're pureeing vegetables to make fillings and we're making lasagnas out of different things. So there's so much innovation involved. I mean, that's why I think the plant-based culinary world is just like one of the most valuable. We do the craziest stuff with food. I don't think it gets enough attention that way. We do crazy stuff with cheese seeds and we turn flax seeds into stuff. And it's just amazing. So we have to remember that with innovation comes trial and error and not so much failure, but just, okay, that didn't work. How am I going to approach it next time? Which I go through a lot. Plant-based chefs are mad scientists who are using their power for good. That's the way that I really like to look at it. Um, final recipe, you talk about marrying flavors and doing crazy things. I haven't even had a chance to taste this yet. It's in your new book, plant-based delicious brown rice poutine with miso gravy. What is (laughs) happening here? Talk to me. Oh my God. Oh, right. Oh God. I love that recipe. We love that recipe. So That was me marrying, um, you know, because every chef brings themselves to their recipes and and, and their cookbooks. And um, I do that especially. Everything that I make usually has a story. This one has a very prominent story. So I live in Taiwan, which is Asia. I'm from Canada. Canada's signature dish is poutine. Poutine is fries with gravy and cheese curds. It sounds, if you don't, if you've never heard of it before, it sounds odd, but it's, very popular. And I have to say from my previous life, it is delicious. In Asia, you know, rice is a staple food. Rice is in everything. Um, And miso, which is a soy product, but it's a fermented soybean. It's excellent for the microbiome. It's wonderful to add to your diet for decreasing inflammation as well. So that's also prominent in my diet here. So I was like, I'm going to make my gravy out of miso. Instead of using cheese curds, we're going to batter tofu and we're going to bake it so it kind of looks the same. And we're going to put all that on brown rice and we're going to toss it with fresh vegetables to give it that Asian crunch, you know. Um, We have like the julienne carrots and cucumbers. And then there's some greens mixed in there as well. Just again, I'm a big fan. proponent of greens in most of my meals. So I added that in there as well. So that's, um, that's a really, really great recipe and we make it a lot. I'm so glad you picked that one to ask about. Oh, I'm on board. I'm on board. So (laughs) like when I saw poutine, it just jumped out at me because again, going to Toronto here, you know, I've always wanted to go to a Toronto Blue Jays baseball game because as a young kid, I remember seeing uh, my team, the New York Mets playing there. And the announcers were talking about this thing that the fans in the stands were eating, which was French fries and gravy. Yeah. Poutine. And so I see, I saw this re- and I'm going to a Jays game f- Friday night. Like I'm, I'm missing out on another event there just so I can go and like check oh this God. off of my bucket list. Like I'm so excited. My husband doesn't miss a Jays game. Oh, is that right? Even over here. So he's going to be jealous. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, if they have vegan poutine, I will definitely (laughs) let you know. I'm not sure that they do. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, so, so like, I'm super excited about that, but like, just to know that again, you're able to take something that is typically unhealthy and then make it healthy and put your own culinary twist on it. I just think is so amazing to me. That's why I love this, this recipe, the the idea behind it. I really do. I love what you're doing. I'm a huge fan of yours and it's a shame that it took so long to get you on the show. But right now today, I'm telling you, you have a standing invitation. Come on back anytime. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I've loved chatting with you. And same here. I mean, I've been aware. I just lost an earbud. I've been aware of, you know, PCRM, the uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine forever. I've listened to your podcast. I know all about you. So it also almost feels like, you know, I've known about you for a long time and I'm finally getting to, you know, talk to you face to face. So it's really exciting for me as well. So here is the deal. I have absolutely, positively, unequivocally fallen in love with a couple of recipes in Ashley's book, Plant-Based Delicious. And I'm going to underscore delicious there. The white bean hummus is so easy to make and so daggone good. There ought to be a law against it. But that's just one. Because on the very next page, burger time. 
the walnut and black bean burgers with special sauce. I mean, are you kidding me right now? Yes, please. And thank you. I love them. Pages 83 and 84 in Plant-Based Delicious will become your new best friends in the kitchen. I'm telling you, they are that good. So if you are able to, please go out and pick up a copy. Just click that link in the episode notes if you want to get it online. Make it so easy. Get it shipped right to your house and then have an adventure in the kitchen. And make your taste buds do somersaults, my friend. I'm telling you, they are so good. And what a story Ashley has. Really, so much fun to hear that. It reminds me of the conversation that we had not too terribly long ago with a doctor by the name of Sam Gartland. And if you recall, Dr. Gartland also had this unbelievable turnaround after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And then he then began paying attention to everything that he was eating, really getting in touch with what it was he was putting into his body, adopts the plant-based diet and saw just incredible results. And I think my favorite part of the conversation with Dr. Gartland was when he was telling the story about the day his own doctor told him that he no longer had any signs of having MS. As a matter of fact, on that day, Dr. Gartland was running late for this doctor's appointment. I think he had the very last appointment of the day and his doctor was scheduled to go on vacation, but he hung around just to see Dr. Gartland's face when he told him this news that he no longer had any signs of MS. The doctor's mind was absolutely blown. That was such a fun part of the conversation. So if you get an opportunity, such a good story. I've dropped a link to go back and listen to that interview in the episode notes. We called that episode, by the way, The Doctor Who Defeated MS. Such a fitting title, too. It's your friend Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plan Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the exam room podcast with the weight loss champion chuck carroll my doctor friends neil barnard and robert osfeld will also be there to make a toast to the most heart healthy night of your life lower blood pressure lower cholesterol lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it plus foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future but to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait. Get your tickets today, and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck. And now, let's all get Plan Strong together. And you can get your tickets right now at pcrm.org events, or click that link in the episode notes. July 12th, the big night in New York. And the hors d'oeuvres that I hear we are going to be serving that night are supposed to be really amazing as well. So we're going to feed you, and we're going to raise your health IQ on the most heart-healthy night of your life. Can't wait to see you there. Can't wait to see Rip there and Dr. Osfeld and Dr. Barnard and hopefully one more special guest still to come. Chef Lauren Kretzer may be making a cameo that night as well. Love me some Lauren Kretzer. She's the best. So here's the deal, my friends. We with this show really do try to make the world a healthier place and bring stories like Ashley's to the world so that when somebody in their darkest hour feels like all hope has been lost, boom, here we are with some new information that can change their perspective on life and really help them on their journey to recovery. And one of the easiest things, one of the best ways you can help that person is simply by following or subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee on Apple podcast or on Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. Give the show a follow and leave a five-star rating because it helps this information get to the people in need when they need it the most. 
We want to be at the top of the podcast ranking so that we can get this nutrition science, this hope, and this inspiration to them in their hour of need. And you can do that right now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your shows. Hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, and leave that five-star rating. And for bonus points... In the review box, if you want to share a little bit about your own plant-based journey, go ahead and do that. And we may share it here on the show the next time we do our five-star health success. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Ashley Madden for being here, bringing her energy and inspiration and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee... I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.